All right, turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1, or you should have handout sheets. We're going to get into Colossians, an overview of the book of Colossians tonight, two weeks from tonight, and then two Wednesdays in uh, January, and then uh, we'll go on to some new things, and... uh, So we're just going to launch right into Colossians here, because this chapter is 39 verses, is called an overview, and it's just a teaching tool. Uh, Feel free to write down anything you want on the right, where the notes are, write your own commentary, or uh, on the back there's notes by Spurgeon. I will not be reading those, but you can uh, compare some of the things he said about a few of the verses But because this is the longest of the four chapters in Colossians, I want to just get right at it without any background because the first first chapter kind of shows the background of the book. I will say it's one of the prison epistles, as we will see, uh, that implied in the uh, teaching, one of the four prison epistles by the Apostle Paul, uh, the others being Ephesians and Philippians and Philemon. All right, verse number one says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother. We, uh, we just studied this recently at our church when we had a, a series of messages called Introduction to the Will of God. That uh, one of the ten things that's specifically exposed to us in the New Testament as God's will is our calling. And so Paul refers to that here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And so our calling needs to be by the will of God, not some occupation we choose or uh, some fondness or interest we have in something, but it's got to be a call from God. It'd be like all of us sitting together here tonight and one person, their phone rings. Okay, that one person is getting a call from somebody. And so it is with the call of God. God doesn't give it to anybody else. Uh, It's to you specifically, and sometimes it's shocking that God would call you to do something because you might feel unqualified, you might feel disqualified, but he makes no mistakes. And the gifts and calling of God are without repentance And it's just something when he makes up a decision, he can then enable you to fulfill that calling. Now, his partner here is Timotheus, our brother, Timotheus being half Greek, half Jew. Uh, It's wonderful that God uses people like that. And uh, it appears as though he helps to write this epistle to the church at Colossae. Um, And appears as we go on with the chapter that Timothy may have been in prison with him. And I think that's implied in some of the words we will see later. It is written in verse 2, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are in heaven. Well, that's not what it says, does it? It says, To the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae. And I just bring that out to point out that there are saints in heaven and there are saints on earth who are alive. We don't have to wait to get to heaven to become saints. Some of that teaching is is from religion that is unscriptural. There were in that city of Colossae walking around on earth people that God addressed as saints, sanctified ones, and faithful. What a testimony of this church at Colossae. It is a great church. There's a couple things that they're warned about in this book we'll get into later in chapters 2 and 3, but for the most part, this church is as solid as can be, and it was right down the road from Laodicea. Uh, I think less than 10 miles, and Laodicea was a mess. And so two churches can be quite close to each other, and one can be good, and one can be messed up. And uh, this uh, church at Colossae, is uh, located in Asia. And uh, two compliments, right, in verse number one. They're saints and faithful brethren. Faithful brethren. That's something all of us can be. We can all be faithful. We might not all be talented. We might not all be good looking. (laughs) 
<laughs> we might not be all be able to do this, that, or the other, but we can all be faithful. Anyone can be faithful. And I want to encourage you to be a faithful brother or sister. And then we, we have the uh, introduction, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, those are said in almost every single epistle letter, but don't take them lightly. Um, grace always precedes peace. Pastor preached on grace uh, several times recently. It always precedes peace. You can't have peace until you have uh, tasted of the grace of God and salvation. And it comes from our Lord, our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the origin. Grace came by Jesus Christ. And peace comes by him. And so don't look for peace in a bottle or in medicine or a cigarette or, or Hollywood or in music. Uh, peace comes from Jesus Christ. Verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now, here's two things that we also should do, as we have seen in other books like Philippians. We should give thanks to God, and we should pray always for one another. Now, I don't know if you remember this, but several months ago, I brought a message where I encouraged you to buy a notebook. Take that notebook and find out somebody's name at church that you don't know. And write that person's name in your notebook. And it's about the only way we can obey verses like three here. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. There is no way any one of us in this room has a photographic mind enough to remember every single person in church. And it would be a wonderful practice if you just got a notebook. That's what I try to do, and I learn somebody's name, and I'll go and I'll write it down in my notebook, whether they ever come back again as a first-time visitor, or maybe they come all the time. And so be careful about just coming to church, sitting in the same place every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. No, no. If you see someone, you say, I don't know that person's name. Then you go up to them and just say, excuse me, my name's so-and-so. I see you at church here uh, all the time. I'd like to get your name. I'd like to put your name in my prayer book so I can pray for you. And we need to give thanks, and we need to be praying always for you. What a church it would be if everybody was praying for everybody. Uh, and we're going to see the potential of prayer here in this chapter as we read on. Now he begins thanking God and praying always for the church at Colossae, uh, Colossae, Colossae, since, verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So notice the words faith, love, and hope. Uh, those appear in other portions of Scripture too. In fact, one of the most famous is 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. And so... Paul hears, Paul, as far as we know, never went to Colossae. He did not start this church. He did not plant this church. But he's in prison, we're going to see, with one of the ministers, or perhaps the minister of the church at Colossae, and Timothy, and, and I believe Epaphras, who we're going to meet in a few minutes, begins to talk to Paul in prison about the church where he's a minister. And as Epaphras is talking about, verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up in you, when, he, when, he, when Paul hears about that, he says, I need to start praying for this church even though I don't go there. Uh, because these, these people got it, and I, I need to pray for them. And uh, uh, 
never stop thanking God for them and praying for them always. That's, we can pray for other churches. We have a calendar. I pray through it every month, and I hope you do too. We have a calendar of all the churches in western New York that we know of. And then there's others that are starting up. Pastor Kuhn's starting a church out in Akron, and, and uh, there's some new pastors that have come. Pastor Doyle down to uh, Salamanca, and Pastor um, Harris over in uh, Batavia. Okay. Uh, praise the Lord, uh, who took place of the retired pastor. And we need to know these names, and we need to pray for them. Uh, our prayers can change things, and prayer can change people, and prayer can help churches. We need to be praying like this model we have here. Now, notice about the gospel in verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. That word hope is the word expectation. It's, it's kind of changed its meaning in the English language. You know, if, if I said to you, are you going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. Well, the word hope, that, that word hope we use today is not the word hope that's found in the scriptures. The word hope refers to assurance and expectation in the context of the Bible. Uh, so verse 5 says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, it, it means for the expectation which is laid up for you in heaven. See, our gospel... Uh, is one that when we preach the true gospel, it is in much assurance. In First Thessalonians and chapter 1 and verse number 5, it says, For our gospel came not unto you in power only. I'm sorry, let me start over. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. See, our gospel isn't a hope-so gospel. Our gospel is this. If you really believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in true repentance and faith, you will be saved and you will be saved forever. Forever. That's the hope. Uh, We don't don't believe that uh, the gospel is... Uh, something that is temporary uh, or uh, conditional. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we need to tell people this with assurance. And that's what it means here in verse 5, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, wherever you have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. All right? And so we, we, need, to, we need to go out with assurance to, to people and and tell them, yes, if you'll, if you'll do what God says and obey the gospel, you'll be saved and you'll be saved forever. You'll be, not till you sin again, but you'll be saved forever. Now about this gospel, verse 6, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the days you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now notice the work of the gospel here, okay? Notice the work of the gospel here in uh, verse number six, which is come unto you as it is in all the world. Boy, they were faithful with the gospel in that first century, weren't they? Now, all the world was as far as Spain and down into Africa and over into Asia and Europe. You know, they didn't even know the Western Hemisphere existed. But boy, they got with it. And they spread the gospel, verse six, to all the world, Now notice the next statement, and bringeth forth fruit. The gospel works anywhere anyone will work it. It works. It will bring forth fruit. Might just be a few, might be a lot, but but it'll it'll bring forth fruit. I was told about a church in South Carolina the other day that a couple Sundays ago baptized 140 people uh, on one Sunday. 140 people. The gospel works anywhere somebody will work it. And we know Pastor Sexton went home to be with the Lord. Over there in Tennessee, those people are working the gospel. And that's why over half of the people in Tennessee claim to be born-again Christians, evangelical or fundamental, because they have not hid the gospel. They have been faithful in passing the gospel on from generation to generation to generation. Their gospel is not hid. And the gospel will work in New York if we will work it. And that's what we're promised here in verse 5. The, 
the, the, the success of the gospel. Verse 7, as you have learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. Now, it doesn't say this in this book, but if you'll check in the book of Philemon, chapter 1 and verse 23, you will find that Epaphras was in prison with Paul. He's called Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. And so that's where I'm kind of coming up with the conclusion that Paul knows so much about this church, even though he's never been there. That is because he's in prison with their minister, and their minister sharing with him all these wonderful things uh, that we've already studied in the first uh, five verses. And uh, we don't know much about Epaphras except this chapter. We're going to see something in a few weeks in chapter number four. But it says, as you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. And so uh, ministers, and there's some ministers here tonight. Notice verse 7, as you have learned of Epaphras, okay, be sure the people are learning the word of God as you preach and teach and give out both the milk and the meat of the word. And then you as a minister, be faithful. Just be faithful. All right? It doesn't say be successful. It doesn't say, you know, you, you got to achieve so many or so much. No, no. Who was for you a faithful minister? Now he's in prison. He's not in the pulpit anymore. He's in prison. But that was God's will at the time. Who hath declared unto us your love in the spirit. Now notice the word us and the word we in verse 9. Who hath declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it. So this is why I think Timothy in verse 1 is also in prison with Paul in verse 1. And uh, I think that those two at least are the us and the we of verses 8 and 9. And so they're learning a lot about this church. They probably have a lot of time in prison um, they're learning a lot about this church in Colossae that again they had nothing to do with its planting we know Paul did go into Asia we know I think he spent three years in Ephesus which is not far away from Colossae and uh, praise the Lord for uh, these Asian churches I know a few in our church are are from Asian descent and they can certainly rejoice in books like Colossae and Ephesus, whereas maybe Europeans can really rejoice in books like Philippians. Amen? And uh, praise God for their, their faithfulness with the gospel back in those days and how that trickled down over the thousands of years and got to us. And so we could hear uh, the gospel. But um, that's the only kind of love we really need to have, verse 8. Who hath declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And may each of us ask to be filled with the Spirit and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Verse 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So here's a repeat of verse 3. Uh, we're told to, to, to not cease. I, I think our churches would have much more success if we would get ourselves notebooks, start writing down the names of, of the people in our church and start praying for them. And I just got a feeling if there's somebody in our church, a babe in Christ, and there's 20 people praying for that babe in Christ, I got a feeling they'd grow. It wouldn't just fall by the wayside. Get yourself a notebook and start writing down names of people you don't know and start praying for them. And diligently, do not cease to pray for you. And then desire... And, and we're going to see here in uh, uh, verses 9 through 12, the deep prayers. And i got to go quick here. But boy, I did a study one time called Paul's Prayers. Man, are those things deep. And they're recorded for us. I wonder if any of our prayers are recorded. But Paul's Prayers are recorded. Look how deep. I mean, you could pick this thing apart and probably preach a month on it. Look how deep this prayer is for people he's never met. He's just heard about them. He's heard about this church from their pastor, Epaphras. 
Verse 9, I'm in the middle. Cease to pray for you. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Again, we just finished a study. Four messages on uh, introduction to the will of God. Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself here a little bit. This will of God thing was so important to these men, these ministers. Chapter 4, verse 12, if you have your Bible open, I want to turn to chapter 4, verse 12. I want you to notice the will of God in this here verse. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. All right, that's what we said here a couple times already tonight. Get a notebook. Let's, let's labor fervently for each other in prayers. What's his prayer? That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So we tried to go through ten things we know that is, is, is revealed or concealed in the will of God recently. Very important subject. Very important subject that we all be in the will of God. And so there is such a thing as standing perfect and complete in all the will of God. I'm glad for anybody who's even doing part of God's will, but boy, would to God we would be praying for each other that we could stand perfect and complete in all, all the will of God, all those things we studied, ten of them. Oh my, and spiritual understanding, verse 9, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, verse 10, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. These are his prayer requests. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints. In light, that's, that's quite a few statements right there in his prayer for them from verses 10 through 12 that I'm skipping over, but boy, they're deep. That's good stuff right there that we would pray, or even for ourselves, that, that I, I could walk worthy unto the Lord of all and be fruitful in every good work. Is, is my prayer life fruitful? Is my soul winning life uh, fruitful? Is my counseling life fruitful? Is is, is, is my ministry in the church being fruitful, increasing in the knowledge of God, knowing more and more about the infinite God that nobody can even come close to knowing all about. But we can know more and more and more and more about. Strengthen with all might, or am I going to be a weakling the rest of my life? Spiritual weakening, weakling, spiritual lightweight. What, what is it? Am I, am I going to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power? Not me trying harder, but according to his glorious power. All patience, long-suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks, these things. Uh, Because God hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That's another study we did. I don't know, it was last year on the inheritance. God wants to make us meet. That word meet there in verse number 12 means fit for that inheritance. Fit for that inheritance. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. We saw that was part of God's will. Galatians 1.4, that you be delivered from this present evil world according to the will of God. The world shouldn't be getting the best of us every day. We should be in the, the will of God by his power and might being delivered and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And this word translated means to be removed from one place to another, such as the example of Enoch, who says he walked with God. And he was not for God took him. Before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. God translated, he removed him from earth to heaven. One of only two Old Testament saints that he did that, but translated. And we've been translated, you and I, not all of you, some of you grew up in Christian homes and stuff, but some of us were in the, the kingdom of darkness, we were in sin and wickedness, and we were translated, we were pulled out and removed from one place to another. And we are now uh, put into the kingdom of his dear son. Verse 13. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
Very important verse. Now, the word blood right there in the middle of verse 14 is uh, mentioned 99 times in the New Testament. In all 99 times, the word, the Greek word for blood is always translated blood. Now, the reason I say that is because many of the new versions leave the word blood out of verse 14 and stick the word son in there. Like the New International Version reads, in whom we have redemption through his son, the forgiveness of sins. That's why I brought out to you just now that 99 out of 99 times the word blood in the Greek is used, it is translated blood in the New Testament. And uh, so these people are, are changing the word of God. And uh, so a verse like that, it's what I call a proof text. If you're ever looking at a Bible and saying, is this Bible any good? Go to Colossians 1.14. Go to Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Go to 1 John 5.17. And, and some of those proof verses and see if they've changed them. And just stick with the authorized version. Whether you can understand or not, uh, uh, we're running out of time. And there, there's no time to be fiddling around with these other uh, English versions that are coming out. In whom we have redemption <coughs> through his blood, <coughs> the forgiveness of sins. Now, at the top of your notes, uh, I finally want to bring out here that the main theme of the book of Colossians is Christ the Lord. It's about the deity of Christ and how he is the head of all. Not only the head of the church, which we'll see tonight, But he's the head of all. He's the head of all. And Christ the Lord, and we're now about ready to enter into one of the great, great passages of Scripture on uh, the deity of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every uh, creature. Who is the image of the invisible God. And... uh, Back when Jesus walked the earth, he said some things. Uh, For instance, in John 12 and verse uh, number 45, he said, He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. That's a pretty simple verse, isn't it? He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. And when Philip asked him, uh, Show us the Father... In John 14, 8, Jesus said in John 14, 9, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? And and many other verses could be brought out on the deity of Christ. But this verse says about Jesus Christ, who is the image of of the invisible God. And when it says the firstborn of every creature, that word firstborn means that he is above every creature. It doesn't mean he's the first one made like the cults teach. It means that in position, he is the firstborn son or the, the one that is highest in rank or authority. For instance, it says in uh, Psalm 89 and uh, verse number uh, 27, 89, 27, also I will make him my firstborn higher than the kings of the earth. Okay, so that word firstborn not only refers to somebody's first son you have, but it means the highest in authority. The highest in authority. And so when it says Jesus here is the firstborn of every creature, it means he is the the highest in authority over all people. So that's why at the top you'll see the subtitle for our study on the book of Colossians is Christ the Lord, the head of all. He is your head. He is my head. He is the firstborn of every creature. Creature, We don't do it much today, but I still submit to my brother George when it comes to uh, matters of of finance and business in our family, because I'm the last born, (laughs) and I'd rather let him have the headaches anyway. Um, But uh, 
Notice that he's not only the image of the invisible God, verse 15, not only is the firstborn of every creature that is over us in rights and responsibilities and privilege and authority, but he's also the creator, verse 16. This is an amazing verse about our Lord Jesus Christ. For by him were all things created, by Jesus Christ, which are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So when you look out at every star and every galaxy and solar system, you can say Jesus Christ made that. Jesus Christ made that, and he made the earth and and also authorities, dominions, and principalities, and powers. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. This is the the pre-existent Christ. I don't know what what word (coughs) to use uh, for it, but I certainly like the prophecy of of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 that we often bring out during... Christmas time. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, get out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So Jesus was never made, he was never created. Rather, he is the creator. He always was. There always was a trinity. I know it blow your mind to try to understand that. And our, this is where faith comes in. Faith comes in when our understanding ends uh, at the, the, the infinite God. And there's some things you can't explain. I can't explain them. We just believe it because it is written. That's why we believe it. At least I do. I don't know about you. Now, it says also an amazing thing scientific statement here in the end of verse 17 and by him all things consist we're still trying to figure out the atom a-t-o-m we're still trying to figure out what holds that together because it doesn't make sense to science jesus makes it stay together that word consist means all things by him are held together that's that's a lot of power I mean, you split an atom, you're going to blow up the big part of the earth. There's a lot of power in that. And the Lord, everything's made out of atoms. And the Lord holds them all together. Boy, we, we, we are, we're so far from having faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his power and what he can do. Uh, there certainly is nothing... And then beyond all this, verse 18 tells us he's the head of the church, the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Of course, Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, raised from the dead, stayed alive forevermore. Some others were raised from the dead on a a few occasions, but died again. But Jesus was uh, alive, and then he was dead, and now he's alive, it says, forevermore that in all things he might have the preeminence. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Very important verse there, verse 18. Uh, the head of the church is Christ, not Peter, not some pope, all right, not some local pastor. The head of every church is Jesus Christ. And, and pastors and people need to jealously protect that. That in all things he might have the preeminence because there's examples like 3 John 1 9 where Diotrephes took over the church and drove even John out of the church, drove the messengers out of the church because he loved to have the preeminence in the church. And you got to be careful about that. Every one of us must have much temperance that we jealously protect that Christ is the head of the church. And when you're given a ministry or you're put in charge over something like that, something that's delegated to you, you be very, very humble, and you remain humble about that. And uh, make sure Christ has the preeminence in the ministry that you're over. Uh, Because we don't want to be lords 
uh, or have dominion in the church. It, it, it's got to be, it's the Lord's church. And so that, that didn't do justice, verses 15 through 19, but this is just an overview. But that's just, those verses are just packed with stuff about Christ, and that uh, introduces us to the theme of this book, Christ the Lord, the head of all, the head of you, the head of me, the head of the church. Now, he is the personification of the perfect God. Look at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. All right, he is the personification of the perfect God, the complete God. There's no other gods needed. Did you ever study other gods? You know, there's the God of the sun and the God of the moon and the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys and the God of fertility and the God of, you know, they got all these little gods who just have this little, you know, area of, of, uh, that they're in charge of. Well, not ours. Uh, not ours. Jesus is the fullness. All right, verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. There's... There's, there's nothing needed to supplement or complement Christ. He's all. I remember even the Old Testament story. Well, yeah, he's the God of the mountains, but he's not the God of the valleys. And so God fixed them there too. And uh, that's our God. We, we, we have one God. That's all we need, one God. We don't need the God of this and the God of this and the God of this. And we don't need, uh, you know, uh, who is the guy on our dashboards when we were growing up? Remember them? Uh, come on, who's Catholic? Who's former Catholic? St. Christopher, yeah, he used, to, he used to, you put him on the dashboard, he'd help you drive. I'm serious, you used to see him everywhere. I don't see him at all anymore. But uh, he, he'd help you drive. He's right there, man, just looking out. And I remember that growing up in a Catholic home for a while. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> man. But I think Christ can help us drive. Amen? Uh, he don't need help. And uh, he, 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 can, uh, he can be the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We don't need Mary. We don't need saints. And, you know, there's a church near me that says, St. Christopher, pray for us. Not sure who he is. Um, but uh, I can pray for myself. I've got a mediator. I've got an intercessor. Uh, I have access. I'm made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm I'm invited to come boldly under the throne of grace that I may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's what verse 9, these are wonderful verses, but we got to go. We're only two-thirds of the way through, John. Uh, I mean, you can can start uh, whatever, but i got a ways to go here. (laughs) And this is great, too. Now, now that was all about what Christ, who Christ is. Now, notice what Christ did. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. So notice back in verse 14, the blood redeems us. In verse 20, the blood reconciles us. And that's a wonderful word. Uh, right there that means to be made uh, friends uh, again and this is only something that Christ can do Uh, peace and reconciliation are very similar words not completely but they're very similar words and it means to bring back to a former state of harmony that's what reconcile means like Adam and Eve used to have harmony with God then they lost it and reconcile means to be brought back into that state of harmony with God. So his blood redeems us, and his blood, uh, verse 14, reconciles us, verse 20. (coughs) Let's go on, verse 21. And you that were sometime, that word sometime is different than it means today. It means, and you that were formerly, sometime formally alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's where wicked works originate in man's mind. The imagination of men's hearts was only evil continually. Genesis 6 verse 5. And as man thinks up evil in his mind, some men and women put it into practice. 
and some just are pretty good at hiding it. But from such a life, verse 21 says, yet now hath he reconciled. Put us back into harmony. In the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Now that's our standing right there. That's what's imputed. That means when God sees the blood applied through the body of Christ's flesh, uh, he presents us holy, unblameable, and unprovable in his sight. Now then, that should be continued in, however. It should not end at salvation, but that should be the start. Verse 23, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, I mean, never get far away from Calvary, never get far away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Never get far away from your own personal testimony. It says they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Uh, so stay close to the cross and, and the gospel, which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven. What a, again, what a testimony the first century church was. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So he's a minister. Back in verse 7, Epaphras is a minister. That's a good word to use. I know we call them pastors, some call them bishops, elders, whatever. It'd be good to call us ministers too and to remember that in the ministry we're ministers. We're here not to be served but to serve and to give our lives a ransom for others. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake which is the church. Now, Paul begins to describe himself. He's, he's talked about the person of Christ, the works of Christ. And now he's kind of introducing himself to this church that he's never been to as a pattern for them to follow. And Paul is like a pastor at large. Uh, he talked uh, in his writings, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28. He said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, he wasn't a pope. We don't believe in a pope. We don't believe the word pope is even a, a Bible office. There's no such thing as an office of a pope in the Bible. But if there is anybody that was ever close to it, it was Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. And uh, boy, there's 1.2 billion Catholics on earth, and I know God loves them all, but boy, they got that backwards. They got that backwards. Peter was never the apostle to the Gentiles. And 99.8% of the world today is Gentiles. This is the time of the Gentiles. Paul is our pattern. Paul is our pattern besides Christ, who is our ultimate pattern. God has given us a human pattern. In 1 Timothy 1.16, it says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. And so Paul is a pattern to anybody who, from that point on, in the wisdom of God, God gave us a human pattern under Christ. But if he was the only one we had, we would say, well, I can't match that. He was divine. I'm a sinner. Paul was the chief of sinners. And he was saved, and he then became a pattern for us and a pastor at large for the churches. And this is what he's saying. I wish I could explain this more. Uh, but uh, he starts talking about himself. Uh, and he says, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, verse 23, <coughs> who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. What? He's never been there. But he has. He's never been to Eden, but boy, he sure helped us here. If you know what I mean. He's never been to Eden, but he's helped this church. We study Paul uh, as, as we follow Christ, of course. 
and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Do you see how Paul's unique? All right, Christ suffered in his body for the church, but Paul did also. Uh, Not for redemption or reconciliation. We just talked about that. That was Christ. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you. And this is a little something here that, that maybe I can trigger you to study a little bit. But Paul has a unique place in Christian history. And he was given a, a, a dispensation. And the word dispensation means a stewardship. A dispensation of God was given to him in verse 25, which is given to me. In other words, God, God gave me a stewardship to me, for you, notice, to fulfill the word of God. I mean, Paul was one of the greatest authors of the word of God and one of the preachers of the word of God. He said to those at Ephesus, for instance, in Acts 20 and verse 27, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And so God used him uh, as, as kind of a, a pastor of all the churches, even places he hadn't been. Paul said, my sufferings were for you. Uh, God fulfilled his word, uh, the word of God through me for you. And so many books, what, 12, 13? I don't know how many books of the New Testament he wrote. Uh, but, but God, um, you, you know, the... Even the gospel we preach, Paul said, this is my gospel. When we have the Lord's Supper, he says, I have declared, delivered unto you that which I also received. This is how you do it. And so he has that unique place. Verse 26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so this mystery is defined for us in verses 26 and 27. It says prophets used to look into it. Angels were wondering, what what is this all about? But now it has been given particularly to the Gentiles. Now there are Jews that are saved. But it's been particularly given to the Gentiles. What is this mystery? Christ in you. Never heard of before. Never heard of before, but now we have it. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The expectation of glory. Now he continues to talk about his ministry. We're getting ready to close here. Whom we preach, speaking about Christ. Okay? Paul said uh, in another one of his books, uh, whom we, pre- uh, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And so, here is his pattern, whom we preach, warning every man, that's no fun, and teaching every man in all wisdom. It's almost like saying in verse 28, and, and there's a few preachers in this room right now, listen, There's both, in verse 28, preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Don't go light on the teaching where we tell people this is how you do it. This is how you be a husband, how you be a wife, how to raise children, how to win a soul to Christ, how to pray, how to study the Bible. All right, how to handle your finances. A lot of the the, the preaching, it says Jesus had compassion on the multitudes and taught them many things. They need to be taught. So we need to warn, preach, and teach in all wisdom. Now why? This is is something that I've said for years, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's our, 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 our... Our motive is is so that they can have a better resurrection. 
they can have a good presentation uh, through our preaching and teaching ministry uh, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wow, what a goal. I mean, it's a lifetime thing, but, 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 but the motive of the pastor should not be to build his own kingdom, see how many numbers he can get, see how much he can brag about the finances. Or No, no, no. It's so that when the congregation stands before the Lord, they have matured, they have become more complete in Christ because of his preaching and teaching ministry. Whereunto I also labor. It's work. It's work. We labor in the word of God and doctrine. Do not apologize for time spent in the Bible and, and, and don't and, and be sure every time you have the opportunity to preach or to teach that you're well prepared, uh, striving according to the working which worketh in me mightily. Okay, we've got to have God working in us too, mightily, and we've got to labor, striving. So I, I wish I could have taken that section especially about the unique place Paul has in Christian history where he's a pattern, not a God, just a pattern. Uh, that even is suffering. And, and, and you can see how he personally felt responsible for this church he'd never been to. He'd never been to it. And he said, I'm a model for you. He says, I've suffered for you. I, I'm writing the word of God and fulfilling the word of God for you. And that's true about the church in Eden. Paul has been a friend of this church. Uh, even though he hadn't been on earth in a couple thousand years, as we, we read him and study him, and, and he points us to Christ and and, and settles doctrine that maybe after the Gospels was like, well, not as clear. Then you get to Paul's writings and he kind of settles some of those matters. As Jesus said, Jesus said the last night he was here, he says, I got a lot more things to tell you. Uh, and uh, I'm going to use my, the apostles and the prophets. They're the foundation, Christ being the cornerstone. And we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so, so study Paul. Study Paul's prayers. Study Paul's doctrine, his books. And Thank you. That was the longest chapter, but we appreciate you. I know it's been a, a, quite a discourse here tonight. But let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Colossians. What a book. And, and what the things it says about you, Lord Jesus, that I, I can't even understand completely how great you are. You hold every atom together. You made everything. You created everything. And, and you are the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. You're the one who's in charge. You're the one over every. You are our big brother. Every person on earth. And uh, not only who you are, but what you did in reconciling us, redeeming us, and making us holy and unblameable and unreprovable and get your sight by the blood you gave on Calvary. We worship you tonight and thank you. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Epaphras, these others that we've been introduced to. And bless the rest of this study and, and prepare us now and fit us, Lord, to minister all the time, but especially this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.